The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix podcast. Tune in today. No my hi my welcome to the mother of all New Zealand politics podcasts gone by lunchtime. Uh, a warm welcome to Ben Thomas of Excelsior. Hello Ben. Hello Toby. You look excited. You're doing exercises. You're limbering up. I'm I'm making sure that my spine is in alignment for the pod. Um, we we're in the end times now. Annabelle Lee, mm-hmm. how are you? Nice I'm, to see I'm you. I'm very well. I've got a little bit of tonsillitis to oh. be fair, but I'm okay. It's like Lord did the VMAs, I think. Uh, last night or something, and performed but didn't sing. Mm. So if it comes to it, I'm you planning c- to do you something just similar. Do Morse or find some way mm-hmm. of communicating your ideas. You could write them down. Sounds good. Just push them over the desk. Mm. Um, many thanks to KiwiSaver, provider simplicity for unequivocally endorsing our existence while unequivocally not endorsing anything we might say. The time is 12:55 p.m. on Tuesday, and I say that because. It's important, as we pointed out before, in this whirlwind of an election to be clear about when we are recording so that it doesn't look like we've missed something. Um, it's just been like that, hasn't it? You've got to keep looking all the time. Mm. It's the old uh, Apple R election. Um, and it looked, Ben Thomas and Annabelle Lee for a moment there, as if the Grim Reaper that has stalked much of this election so far was coming for Winston Peters on Sunday evening when he issued a press release after a flurry of teasing on the Twitter. Um, Everyone was in a real state of near frenzy about it. Mm, I was beside myself, to be honest. I spent the whole weekend trawling Twitter and trolling um, Tim Murphy's Twitter account. Tim Murphy had, who is the co-founder and editor of newsroom.co.nz, former editor-in-chief of the New Zealand Herald, posted a tweet. When did he do it? Was it Saturday, wasn't it? It was Saturday afternoon. Sa- Saturday afternoon during halftime, I think, at the Auckland Rugby High School finals <laughs> at Eden Park. <laughs> Just like Woodward and Bernstein did. <laughs> the tweet said something, people who said there was going to be another explosive contortion or something like that in the election. One more convulsion. One more convulsion, convulsion it was. An explosive convulsion, seismic convulsion, something like that. It was good. Mm. It wasn't quite... It was delicious. Um, and he said, and then he, was it the hashtag? Or anyway, it was going to be the mother of all scandals mm. was coming out. The way. royal, and then a follow-up tweet, the royal flush Ooh. of scandals. Really, it very much was like an Agatha Christie tweet. Mm. And um, we were all desperately trying to decode this. In, in Southern Hemisphere elections, the royal flush of scandals goes counterclockwise. Mm, scientific let, let, let one sink in, listeners. Um, <laughs> but then on skipping forward to Sunday evening, and Winston Peters issued a kind of preemptive 
press release, didn't he? Which, which was unusually non-combative in a way. Well, the funny thing about that is that we'd whipped ourselves into so much of a frenzy that hmm. by the time once you know our imaginations had gone wild, certainly mine had. So by the time Winston let go his press release on Sunday afternoon, I was like, surely that's not it. That's not exciting and explosive <laughs> and convulsy enough. <laughs> Insufficiently convulsy. <coughs> the press release said um, there was an error, we fixed it or something, I think was the headline on it. I think he said there was an overpayment uh-huh. for his pension, yes. which he's been on for seven years now. Uh, the, the, the putative next Prime Minister of New Zealand in his seventh year, on national superannuation, Prime Minister, um, complete tosh. Was uh, yeah. The, so they discovered that there was an overpayment. He didn't go into any detail about that. Said he was contacted by the Ministry of Social Development yes. who administered the benefit. He met with them. Uh, he agreed to pay back um, the overpayments, and he considered the matter finished. And then we had it turned out the News Hub had the story, and it, we weren't sure if it was also a newsroom story, but it, but but it. Turned out that it was mm. right. It was. I th- I think by the time um, newsroom published in the morning, the only sort of fresh element that they were able to add was that it was allegedly eighteen thousand dollars that um, Peters had had to pay back, which he mm. um, said is demonstrably incorrect, and we still don't know exactly how much he paid back. But one would assume it's less than that. He was unwilling to demonstrate it, but it was demonstrable, Mm -hmm. nevertheless. Mm -hmm. um, Because that's a word you just put in to sentences when you're Winston Peters, don't you? (laughs) Um, The the newsroom had clearly been on to it. And then, then, so it's still, uh, uh, subsequently, um, Tim Murphy posted a tweet saying that he had, in fact, just been engaging and he knew that Patrick Gower of News Hub had the story too and so he was just engaging in the parody of hyperbole or something. Which mm. is I, I, I think the the meaning that I took from his tweet was that he wasn't even mad that he was scooped by News Hub. He thought it was funny. Like Tupac. Yeah, yeah. mad at you. But um, when you watch the Facebook Live video that um, Paddy Lloyd and Jenna recorded on Sunday evening, yeah. yeah, it appears, if I understood correctly, that the story, the contact was actually made with Jenna, and Jenna passed it on to Lloyd and Paddy. They did like, say, I think that's the papa of the mother yeah, of ex- the auntie and Except Newsroom have since announced, <clears throat> no, no, News Hub have announced that it, it was a, an anonymous tip-off. An anonymous tip-off. So uh, presumably a phone call came in. Uh, I think they said an anonymous phone call came into the into the office. and uh, So I'm assuming that, that means that Jenna just happened to be the one who was eating her lunch. And, and let's just remember why, why it's an issue. Or why yes, it could be an that. issue. Let's talk about that. Which is that um, it's, it's not that uh, he's not entitled to superannuation. Um, lots of New Zealand politicians have also taken universal superannuation mm-hmm. while well, they've been MPs, Jim Anderton, Jonathan Hunt, a panoply. Um, but he, 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 did, he did claim an overpayment, or he, w- he was overpaid, 
And while he said that the era was entirely the Ministry of Social Developments, there is a question of how it eventuated. Did he fill in the forms wrong? And that did he tick the wrong box? That, yeah, that, that gives rise to the, the question: did, did he make an, an incorrect declaration yep. about whether he was single or living alone, or any of those factors yep. which influence payment levels? Or can he just not fill out forms correctly? And those are those are two things mm. that there's probably a legitimate interest now. It's been raised in the New Zealand public. Yeah, did he intentionally mislead MSD by ticking the single box? Did he accidentally tick the single box? Did he, in fact, correct the that tick the correct box and it has been processed incorrectly. Yeah, yeah. All of these questions and more. What a, what a giant scandal. I, I don't think oh, there would be a bigger scandal in New Zealand well, politics in the remainder of the campaign. <laughs> well, except um, there, is, there have been uh, demands, not unreasonably, that Winston Peters should release these forms, the high prints of transparency and rigour um, among politics, the pensions man, the the man whose mastermind topic prince, is superannuation. He should come clean completely on this. Well, uh, yes, there obvious for obvious reasons there has been that call for him to you know hand over whatever paperwork he has in, in the interest of transparency, which he is such an ardent advocate for. Um, that should be done. However. Um, as we have since learnt, because of how this story became public, um, there is perhaps um, good reason for not releasing that information if it helps him to form a, a case against whoever the possible leakers may be. Right. We'll get onto that in one second. But just briefly first, there have been some calls, including from people within the Green Party, that this story should be probed with the same rigour that the Meteria Today story was um, and that the media, who were so relentless in trying to track down the and interrogate the veracity of those claims, should be equally uh, diligent on this one. Does that seem like a reasonable demand to you, Annabelle? Well, I think, you know, the media should treat everyone equally. Um However, in this case, it's slightly different because the ministry has said that the issue has been resolved to their satisfaction. So it's slightly different to Matidia in that regard. And also, it's unclear whether he intentionally or mistakenly, um, or through no mistake of his own, this error has occurred. So it's slightly different. And I think already we've seen that the, the tone... Mm. Um, is different anyway. There doesn't seem to be the same blood in the water type situation that we had with Matidia. But why? Well, because Winston Peters still holds the balance of power on all the current polling, and Matidia did not. You mean so that you mean that's in terms of the political pressure or the yeah, media it, pressure? Uh, Political pressure, but that has a lot to do with the media pressure. Um, you know, the media needs somebody calling for a head um, in order to be able to pursue it um, in the normal course of events. Um, we, we've seen a real kind of standoffishness, which from the National Party, which may have something to do with events that we're going to discuss soon. Um, there's been quite a bit of stand. Obviously, the Greens haven't commented at all, um, and the. Good. Debs Mahuta Travis has. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no longer no a no special, project, yep. special projects mm -hmm. advisor with the Greens. Mm -hmm. With the departure of two of their top staffers last week, um, as they continue to sort of 
flounder electorally, I suppose. Um, you know, look, there is now that it's been raised. Um, it, if we go back and look at the history of allegations uh, put to Winston Peters about the management of funds, he has not always given the full story after the first question. And I think there is a legitimate public interest in mm. continuing to pursue. Um, you know, answers to those questions. And the way that Winston Peters describes it, it should be relatively straightforward. You know, one letter from MSD and then a letter advising about the outcome of their meeting. Okay, so then the scandal, like the denouement in a Scooby-Doo episode, ripped off its ripped off its mask and appeared to be a different scandal altogether, which is one about how did this information come to light? Um and it turned out this is quickly, when it finally did actually become hashtag mother of all scandals it became distinctly more maternal <coughs> how, was the, how was the scandal birth it was birthed by the mother yeah mm. Mm. this it was a mother by a different no no, no look um what <laughs> happened ben you got you 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 uh, got pretty steamed about this pretty quickly um talk us through it so we don't know who tipped off Lloyd Burr slash um, Jenna Lynch at TV3 slash News Hub. What we do know is there, was, what we know is there was an anonymous phone call made. But we also now know a bit more about who was apprised of Winston Peters' personal information mm. in terms of his superannuation. Mm. It was revealed that Anne Tolley, the Minister of Social Development, was briefed by the Ministry of Social Development about the matter. Um, now we learn on July the 31st, and then she got an, a further update on August the 15th. We have also learned that the Minister uh, of, the St of State Services, Paula Bennett, was briefed about the matter by the State Services Commissioner, uh, Peter Hughes. And we also learned that uh, the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff from one of those ministers, I think Tolly, learned about the issue. Ben, so, do we know if they were briefed before or after Winston? Has that been clarified? I think after, I think after, after the meeting. After the meeting. The, August I saw the article was after today the where he was saying it was that right. they knew before him. Right. That, that, sure that could have been July the 31st. I mean, we're not clear on mm. that. So... Now, Bill English has denied that it was anyone in the National Party or in the Beehive. Of course, he's in no position he wasn't, to make that denial. To be clear, he wasn't. Um, Eagleson, the Chief of Staff, yep. decided not to alert yep. the Prime Minister to it, which in itself yep. is kind of interesting. That, that's right. He so, deemed it to be sufficiently sensitive. So, or, so what, what's happened is we have seemingly dozens of people wandering around Wellington, all ignorant that each other know about this Peters situation. Paula Bennett said she did not tell anyone. That was a necessary caveat for her to make because of the issues with sort of information security in her office that were raised last year in regard to Tapuia Marae, where her now former staffer uh, leaked information about the criminal record. Um, or, or sorry, the police investigation into a figure at Tapuia Marae. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 so we don't we don't have any answers. Bill English has said that he wants um, an investigation. We we also obviously have officials, either an inland revenue ministry of social development and the state services commission, who knew about this scenario. Yep. Um, uh, there's questions about whether the, some might come from someone in IRD as well, which uh, which would be extremely serious. That would be a criminal matter. Um, but but what's appalling, whether or not we can, whether or not it turns out that the leak came from a beehive office, 
Um, it seems beyond the pale uh, that these ministers were, and so many, were briefed about this matter. The no, surpri- yep. the no surprises policy is, is just that. It's a policy. It's not a law. It's not a regulation. It's introduced a, under Helen Clark. No, no, in, no. Introduced under the Bolger government. Oh, um, for st- state-owned enterprises and crown entities, and oh, okay. and, and all this was it was originally set out in a letter to directors of these uh, directors and board members of these organisations, which were you know operated at arm's length from the government. Mm. And so, if you had a state-owned enterprise like Meridian Energy, all they had to do was report four times a year to the government, which owned it 100%. And other than that, they operated independently. And so, th- these were these were a way of basically the the government being as well apprised of the operations of the companies it owned as shareholders in the normal market. You know, it was basically continuous disclosure. So, if Meridian were going to rack up the price of electricity to Rio Tinto and close the smelter in Tino Point. Um, um, the government was entitled to a heads up that that was what was happening. And then there was mission creep, essentially. And, yeah, more than mission creep. So first it migrated to the core civil service, which is government departments, mm. um, you know, the Ministry of Social Development, for example. And and then this, this idea of, you know, what became relevant for ministers to know and also the, the way in which it was conveyed changed. So first of all, a much wider... This is over, you know, the last 18 years now a much wider swathe of information has now been sort of deemed to be relevant to ministers. Um, And also the way in which people are advised has changed. So it used to be kind of a heads up, you know, um, for instance, if, if, if I asked you, Toby, what are your plans for the weekend? You'd just, you'd tell me and that would be for my interest, you know. If your wife asked you, Toby, what are your plans for the weekend while she was standing next to a dripping tap, which has been driving her crazy, there's a certain level of expectation loaded into that question um, in terms of, of how it will influence what your answer is and how and what you are actually going to do. And that's and that's what's... That's when you're allowed to lie, basically. <laughs> okay, just yeah. clarifying. Yeah. But so, but so, 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 so what's happened now is, for instance, in the old days, you know, the Official Information Act, a lot of the problems that we have with the Official Information Act um, are the result of the no surprises policy. Mm. So it's reasonable enough that if a department is putting out 100 pages of statistics to a journalist under the OIA, that they would give a copy of that to the minister and say, this is being released to journalists, they'll probably ask you about it. Um, what we have now is is a situation where five or six days before that information is due to be released, it will be provided to the minister's office for comment and that comment, you know, as we've seen through a number of reports, will often be in the nature of feedback on what should or should not be included with, you know, varying degrees of pressure depending on the subject. So to cut to the chase of that, essentially it's become a heavily politicised process. Is that, is, that what you're, is that what you're saying? Is that the y- yeah, essence I, of it? it, it it's the interpretation of it. The, the way that it's applied has mutated vastly away from the original intention which is a friendly heads up to the mm. government about mm. what its independent agencies are doing and and what they are doing operationally into a kind of real-time re- dynamic reporting um, which allows for more interference by ministers and their officers. And in practice, in this case, the State Services Commissioner <clears throat> has been has been notified and you know, asked to make a ruling on whether or not this was something that should be that, that's sent right. up. Now, now, this is probably the worst. And he seems to of it. he seems to have thought it through and gone, yeah. So, 
I mean, he's kind of isn't. I don't know. Isn't he meant to be the firewall? So, so he's no, the he's firewall a, between the civil service and the the, the state services commission is there to enforce standards in the public sector, and one of those standards is neutrality and 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 being apolitical, essentially. Civil servants should not be providing political advice or political intelligence um, to ministers. And Peter Hughes, who's the State Services Commissioner, is widely regarded as the best civil servant in Wellington, but he seems to have adopted this role of narc or informant for the government of the day, because what happened is they not only gave the green light for MSD to inform their minister, Antolli, but then Peter Hughes decided the right thing to do under no surprises was to inform his minister, Paula Bennett, of his actions in advising MSD so that she wouldn't be surprised. Mm. I mean, Paul Bennett has nothing to do with superannuation or with social welfare or with Winston Peters. Um, and, and this is just such an, <laughs> such an extraordinary spiralling out of control. It's almost like a parody. And it, it has a few echoes, Annabelle, of something that we were talking about at the last election, which is dirty politics. We do not know how this information got out. We should stress that. And Bill English has made it very clear that he's been given assurances from his chief of staff and from the two ministers involved that they did not disseminate this information. And therefore, he's, he's more or less implied that they're goners if, if, it, if they were found to have done so, right? I think that's pretty clear. But all the same, we're left in the situation where it seems to be that information has been fed out through an anonymous call from people who who stand to gain from it in a very direct political sense. I think it also raises important questions for journalists as well in terms of source management because yeah. as a journalist, protecting your sources is obviously of the ultimate importance and mm. utmost importance and people go to jail to do so. But also... It raises the question, what responsibility and obligations do we have to really question our sources and understand their motivations and require them to provide evidence of, of what it is that they're alleging before we act on these stories and break them? Because in this case, it appears that someone has been able to make an anonymous call. It's unknown yeah. whether or not they've provided any written evidence. Certainly none's been forthcoming yeah. in, in the media. So do we just take sources at face value or voice value, as the case may be, and run with them? And I think, you know, as we've seen over the last couple of days, the story's developed into something far more important and significant, something that can that's really sort of potentially shaken the faith New Zealanders have, not in politicians per se, but in the state as the kaitiaki of our important private information and how that information is shared and how policies can be manipulated to put um, people's political opponents at a disadvantage. Mm. I mean, the government has an enormous, <coughs> enormous range of powers to require people to give it information. Um, and, and, the, and they hold huge amounts of data. And this is not just as a sort of de facto ministry of information for attacking the government's enemies. I mean, this is incredibly serious. Whether or not uh, Tolly Bennett Eagleson leaked this, the fact that we have this situation where there is this sort of porous membrane mm. where information from the civil service just seems to, to torrent in about individuals um, 
it, it, to, to the extent that it's seen as business as usual, should be incredibly worrying for everyone. People on the right should be more worried. Imagine, you know, imagine a Labor government, a Helen Clark government, that had this kind of, uh, you know, penetration into the civil service. Um, you know, so something has to be done at this point about the practice of no surprises. It, it's gotten so far out of control that, you know, that it, it's no answer to say, well, in this case, I don't think they leaked. They shouldn't have that opportunity. Mm. It also gives credence to the concerns, you know, groups had earlier this year when MSD was trying to compel NGOs to hand over the private information of potential clients and so on and so forth. And this is exactly, you know, um, the, the sort of thing that can happen when your private information is um, misused. And now we have uh, Winston Peters uh, on the warpath. He's, mm. he's, he's, you know, turned, turned defence into attack Talk about blowing up in your face, say, like... Well, he's not... It's such a weird political situation that we're in at the moment, too, because, you know, ordinarily, this sort of bombshell would just be fantastic for, you know, for your political opponents. But in this case, it's almost like everyone's in checkmate with each other and nobody can really come out and and put the boot in. So Mm. it's a really unusual kind of place we're in at the moment. Although I think Winston might be... Getting his boot shined right now because because Ooh, yeah. just just as we were coming in here, I was reading a, a, a quote from him on the campaign trail in which he says, "This is humbug. It's tawdry. It's dirty. It's filthy," which is sort of classic Winston, and he's now, I think, uh, he's reasonably beca- enough, he's become the master he's out turn of this. this into a, he's going to turn this into a stick to 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 beat the government. Absolutely, you know, he's going to be able to squeeze all the juice that he wants out of this, and in some ways, he's become a martyr. I don't think that it will hurt him in the way it ultimately ended up hurting Matidia. I think a lot of his supporters, um, you know, probably claim superannuation, even though they work full time, and that's a whole other that, that, that's perfectly a whole legal, other debate that we legal. can have. But Duncan Grieve wrote a really interesting piece on it um, on the spin-off yesterday, which is well worth a look. But um, I don't think it will hurt him. All it's going to do is give him more airtime and suck the wind out of um, National and Jacinda and he'll get to look like he's been really hard done by Mm. and get to do long circular interviews that go nowhere and um, probably win a lot of um, sympathy and support. Ben, you look like you're about to speak. Oh, no, I I was just... um Resting, well, yeah, just <laughs> but your resting face. Um, in terms of in terms of what it does to that political debate, it strikes me that Jacinda Ardern is reasonably well placed, and that she has attempted from the outset to go for a very well. We've heard relentlessly positive ad infinitum, but she has refused to get stuck into that dirt. She's been very careful to try and when 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 the likes of Gareth Morgan or Peter Dunn have come at her, her response has been very much to be above the fray, take the moral high ground and say, I don't intend to engage in that. And that puts her in quite a good position. That, that very decision, position. Um, uh, or, or, or just the character that means she's not inclined to that approach, means she's quite well placed when something like this goes down. Bill English said a couple of months ago, you know, the important thing for this election was for his MPs to be disciplined and not to, uh, what was the words, Ben? Um, not to be arrogant or what was it? Complacent. Not no to be complacent. Not to do the third term. The wheels. Thing. 
I mean, just the, it's, off. It's, it's, it's worth saying of Bill English <laughs> that he really does disapprove of any of that sort of thing. I mean, he is a, he is he is one of the few senior national ministers who, when the dirty politics scandal yep. uh, broke, he was you know visibly and vocally um, disapproving of that strategy of that approach. Yeah, and so, and same with the Hollow Men. Um, he's he he is a very moral guy um, a very straight shooter um, that doesn't mean he knows everything that is happening within his party sure um, and he was uh, he was on stage on Sunday um, when everyone was talking about the mother of all scandals he had the mother of his children on the stage with him and he had his daughter singing the national anthem and he had his son doing snapchats and it was very much a family affair. The rest of the kids occupying sort of rows one through six. <laughs> <laughs> there were a few gaps. I was there. It, 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 I mean, it, it, there weren't 3,000 people there, but nor were there what I saw. I mean, I saw some people suggesting that it had been padded out and there was only one person in every seven seats. It wasn't like that either. <laughs> it was pretty well attended. Um, it wasn't packed. It was... It was a big crowd, you know. Um, uh, they obviously had to try pretty hard to get Bill Mania going because they aren't in a position where they've been on the back foot horribly for years and years and years and finally have some champagne to open. Um, but the sort of cornerstone of it was, was a policy um, on primary schools. For primary schools, there was a bit of maths there. There was a bit of languages there. There was a National Standards Plus thing there. Um, wasn't really a game-changing policy by any stretch, but do you feel as though, who were they talk, trying to talk to, Ben? I thought it was interesting that Nikki Kay introduced the Prime Minister and was also... Nikki Kay introduced, introduced <laughs> Paula Bennett, who introduced oh, the Prime sorry, Minister. Oh, sorry, sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, but also was, was with the Prime Minister um, yes, announcing the education yes, policy. Um, and Nikki, obviously, you know, Nikki beat Jacinda Ardern twice in Auckland Central. Yes. Um, was, is, is about is the exact same age, I think. Um, and represents that kind of generational change that ooh, national sort of lacks in comparison with the Jacinda effect, Jacinda mania, Jacinda Rama, whatever. Um, so I... In terms of the policy itself, uh, obviously one that they just kind of threw together in the week preceding, um, you know, hit, hit the right sort of emotional buttons, uh, very consonant with their campaign themes of a more inclusive society, you know, people of different shapes, colours, all running together aimlessly somewhere in the South Island. Um, and <laughs> They're all looking for a where's a boat? Is anybody got a boat? Those boot camp kids sat like down the boot camp they were all like beautiful with bouncy shiny hair and stuff. No? No. Um but I mean it was at least it was it was a new kind of policy initiative. It wasn't kind of scraping that same barrel as boot camps and road. It's a good idea. It was a little bit under a bit underdone. A bit underdone, nebulous. Turns out you know, one one hour of second language teaching a week, which I at some point in the future. Do they have to use Duolingo to kind of remember between the weeks or the line that got the biggest cheer by far in the speech was to paraphrase uh, Labour just want to treat New Zealand, hard working New Zealanders as an ATM machine yeah. and there was a genuine you know that one was what it, the, 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 the loyal National Party members that were there still feel that strongly you know that's still 
a sort of hardwired view about the Labour Party, whether you believe it to be right or wrong. And it just struck me that that's, that's why, even though they don't want to be seen to be running an attack campaign, that's, that's, that's how they win, isn't it? That's how they... Mm. Although, to be fair, Labour wants to use tourists as ATMs as well. I think, <laughs> I think they would counter with... Yeah, did we talk about that last week? I can't remember. Did we talk about Labour's tax approach, which is, which is a slightly curious one? and that, that I think we must have done. We, 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 we kind did. of touched on it. We did. We, 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 we wandered around. We decide. What did she we wandered turn, around did in we the uncertain She had it ruled out <laughs> capital gains at that point. Prefer just come out. I don't yeah. th- and she but had no, ruled after out the income tax. After that, she ruled out. Yeah. Income tax increases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after after Paula Bennett's introduction, which was quite something, it was kind of very high octane, uh, lots of waving of hands and finishing every sentence with yeah to the crowd. Uh, Bill English said in his speech that this is a strong national team energised by new ideas. Um, doesn't new ideas really like feel like they're bursting with new ideas. Does there need to be a big idea? Does there need to be something that's, I don't know, whether it's crystallising existing stuff or I sort of feel as though this is the point in the campaign when someone announces a national conversation about something, you know? Yeah, well, no, notice that with the, with the second language in primary schools policy, there, were, there was no timeline. They refused to put an arbitrary date on it. Um, so it could, it, it'll probably come to land in about the same time as predator-free New Zealand, carbon-neutral New Zealand. Uh, train to the airport. A train to the airport. Um, just... If you guys were thinking about going anywhere, stick around for 2040 because it is going to be something. Incredible, yeah. Even like, you know, the, the, the flag referendum, eh? Like, that's one that you can pull out, gets lots of airtime. People mm. talk about it heaps. It's sort of a non event, really. It's not that big a deal, but it's something that you can sort of, you know, hoist up and. People stare up at it, but even there's not even anything like that this time. Referendum of the he, national anthem. We could have a oh, new national yes, anthem. good idea. Tell Bill. Call um, him after this. It's a bit not, not, not a mouldy one. Why not? I, I, I just, I don't, th- I don't think that would be the proposal they were looking for four weeks out yeah, from well, the election with, maybe with the that, rural maybe base. Maybe one that gives equal, that's equal be mana the... to like a Korean anthem and a Chinese yeah, anthem yeah. that can be taught in all the primary schools. <laughs> with, yeah. I'm just right now, um, I'm just composing the social line to promote this podcast, and it's going to be Ben Thomas. If we have a new national anthem, not a Māori one. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to go well for you and your online these, presence. You're having these, such a great time on the internet lately. Ben. These it's are really not beautiful. Th- those aren't my personal it's, views. That um, is just where I just, think the rural national MPs would be. You're very much like the shepherd of Twitter at the moment. You crop up occasionally with, you know, you've left to one side your craft brewing community, and you're now gathering the flock of the tweeters and making everyone feel better about their work. Yeah, I, reminding us to all play nicely with each other on Twitter. I, th- I think everyone deserves to have a good time online. Mm, kia ora. Speaking of having a good time, uh, you and I, Ben, were at the minor parties debate on Saturday. You were meant to be there, I Annabelle. was meant to be there, but I had a fevering two-year-old oh. all night, so I didn't make it. Did you give my apologies to Nick? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, you only sent me that message halfway through the debate. Um, it was a good debate, I thought. What did you think, Ben? I, I thought, well, look, disclaimer, do a bit of work for ACT, and David Seymour was in the debate. Um, <laughs> he produced I, his book. 
He produced his book, and it reminded he, me of the time John Polino, in a, in a debate on the Nation, produced his book too. And you suddenly, suddenly, there was like a beam of light that emerged from the book. It was like a like an in Teletubbies or something, or some the Book of Revelations, something like that. And I just kind of felt blinded by the the light of truth, and everything was different from that point on. On the days when David's busy, Ben actually like signs the autograph copies and sends them out. Do you provide, is that part of your work for David Seymour, that you sent him suggested notes for signing books? I I can't talk about client matters, but um, I I do want to say, I'm sorry to to anyone that I accidentally, that, you know, I I convinced to be a libertarian (laughs) under false pretenses. (laughs) What were you going to say about the debate? Did you watch the debate, Annabelle? I did watch the debate. You watched it on the television? Yeah, it was interesting. What do you think? How do you, I mean... How did, how did it look to you? Um, I thought Lisa did a great job. Lisa did, Owen did a very good job. Yep. She is. Um, I thought Honey Let's just clarify there. before Sean Plunkett <laughs> comes down here with a trudgeon that Lisa Owen was not called a femo fascist. Gareth Morgan did not intend to call. I think Lisa she started Owen a new girl gang called Femo Fascist. There's like a patch. I'm not saying she's not a Femo Fascist, right? Let yeah. me be very clear about that. I'm just saying that Gareth Morgan didn't call her a Femo Fascist. Well, look, I think if you read the transcript, he clearly did. Uh, and if you watch the video, he clearly did. But I accept that he did not intend to call her a Femo Fascist. That was what, not what he was trying to get across. He was trying to get across that Lisa Owen was a chill girl. And uh, <laughs> not like those femo fascists giving him trouble online. Yeah, that was one Gareth Morgan's one. He was sort of relatively contained, apart from that one not line. I, I felt he was the only guy who, uh, the only person who underperformed in the debate. Um, oh. I was impressed by Hone. Uh, very impressed by Marama. Obviously, um, she's a very magnetic figure. Um, I, James Shaw improved on his previous week or two. Um, I thought James Shaw was really strong on the Māori TV debate a couple of days before. Hmm. And again, I thought he turned in another strong performance on Saturday. I think um, Hone, for me, was the standout. There were some flashes of the the Hone of old, except for when he forgot his immigration policy. Um, when he did his line, which he's done before, but when, when challenged on where he's going to pay for it, to be able to say, don't bring a spreadsheet along to a starving child, you know? I mean, that, that is, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very affecting and powerful line, right? I think too, like, we've heard it so much, this election, how are you going to pay for this, how are you going to pay for that? The truth is the average Joe Bloggs voter doesn't really care how anything gets paid for or spend a lot of time worrying about it that's just something that you know I think most New Zealanders would think it's probably just something that politicians say to each other to try and undermine each other's policies so I I think that was yeah an effective response by him I also like the line about are you a feminist and he said I am the son of Tite Fai Harawira it was Mm. another great comeback Mm. Um, and there was no Winston Peters he had decided not to take part um, which um I don't know. Some people thought that was a very bad idea. In a way, there was a sense about that debate when I was watching it that they were all scrapping for their lives. I mean, there's a weird irony that the only one there who can be sure, really, with any confidence, with any great confidence that they'll be in Parliament is David Seymour. And he's got, you know, a percentage, despite the fine work of Excelsium, no one is going to vote for his party. You know, I mean, it's sort of a weird thing. They were all just 
just just just desperately gasping for that political oxygen, no? I mean, they're all at risk. And the irony is, is that, you know, Winston refused to go on the debate, he refused to go on the Māori TV debate, and he's ended up with more airtime and oxygen yeah. than all of them put together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. But, but I don't know. I mean, I can, I, can, I can see the argument each way, but I can, I can see that you could rationalise that. Why would you want to appear with a bunch of those that lot when you are clearly so much more assured in your footing? Electorally than they are. I just think it shows humility myself when you participate in those mm. sorts of mm. um, debates. It shows that you don't take your support for granted, mm-hmm. um, that you take the election seriously. I don't think you cover yourself in glory by not turning up to debates, although, you know, as it turns out, it hasn't hurt him, but. A lot of it is about branding. Um, this is why, of course, the minor party leaders are so eager to appear on screen with the major party leaders. Yep. Um, this is why... Uh, Nick, and the major party Nick, leaders are so keen not to appear on screen with the, uh, with the rest. Yeah, that's right. Because, you know, you, you kind of find your own level. And if you're scrap, you know, Bill English would diminish himself by kind of scrapping amongst the minnows. It's Which, a bit like you and I sitting here in this room with Annabelle, really, isn't it? It's, it's great, great for us. Yeah, that's right. Let's be honest, her brand is suffering. <laughs> but, but we bribe her with, um, what have we got today? M&M's. M&M's, M&M's. and favourites. Um, uh, the big debates, the big kids' debates, begin on Thursday evening, by which time the very land upon which we stand will have shifted um, politically, no doubt. I expect we'll have had two polls, two polls by then. Um, who, who, who knows what else might have befallen the electoral the election campaign but how's it going to shape up how's it going to go it's going to people are going to be watching Jacinda right? will win the debate that's my that's my I, I picked Mayweather McGregor correctly and I've picked this correctly Jacinda will win the debate um, because for the same reason that in the past few elections David Cunliffe won the first debate against Key um, that uh, I can't even remember who it was. Phil Goff won the first debate against Key. Key won the oh. first debate against Clark. Um, and I think even Brash won the first debate against Clark way back in 2005 because the challenger gets so much leeway from the analysts and commentators who comment on these things that anything less than a crushing, crushing defeat um, is seen as a win or, or, or a moral victory. So Jacinda will be declared the winner. Um, after this debate. Whether she actually wins the debate is a little less certain, but there's probably a reasonable chance of that. It's going to be very difficult for Bill English um, to, to, to show a better command of policy and issues without appearing patronising or aggressive. Um, not because that's how he is, but because, um, you know, just because of the way these things are framed. I agree. And I think, you know, um, English is not a naturally charismatic communicator in the way that Ardern is. I think, I mean, if we go back to that minor party leaders debate, I don't think anyone would claim that Marama Fox made the best debating points Mm. or dominated the policy discussion but she was unanimously declared the winner by the commentators on stage because she's a warm engaging energetic presence um you know she just fills up the room in the way that the others stand behind the podium yeah yeah an an amazing presence an amazing speaker um and i think you know we may see that again on thursday Mm. um the interesting thing about it is i think that we possibly forget because we're following everything 
reasonably closely is that a lot of people who watch that debate really will still know not almost nothing about mm-hmm. Jacinda Ardern. They will have seen some clips on the TV, they will have heard her on the radio a little bit here and there, but this is actually a proper chunk of time. I mean, it's an hour, I guess, long or longer. It's been prime time on TV One with um, <laughs> Michael Hosking uh, running it, which perhaps we'll just leave that to one side. Do you want to talk about that? Anybody? No. Um, and so I sort of feel as though that the, I think I wouldn't be too hasty in thinking that it's oh Jacinda Ardern has got this one, because I do think it is quite a it is quite a hurdle for her. I mean I think she's done enormously well so far. She's barely put a foot wrong. She hasn't been trapped as some have tried to trap her as they've gone harder on interrogating policy and so on. Also I think that there is a danger that we now see Bill English in contrast to Jacinda Ardern. He's a very effective communicator too. He's not the guy from two thousand and two. He's not a kind of, he's not an embarrassing, struggling monosyllabic dude. He can, he can, he can, he can, he can do a decent job. And I the think. long form suits him. Um, Bill English is not a soundbite guy. Bill English is a long conversation guy. I, I thought mean, there were times in his in his long interview with um, Guy on on Morning Report, Morning Report where he struggled actually, yeah, yeah. and where he had to kind of take back like. You know, he is honest, to be fair, honest Bill. There was times when he would say stuff and then almost sort of try to pull the words back. So I'm not sure if long form is his his strong suit. I think obviously he's going to be much stronger than her when it comes to issues like finance. But when it comes to things like the issue of homelessness and child poverty, those sorts of things, he will struggle. Yes. Um, and her great strength, I think, which is is that she'll pro- very likely go in with the you know hug him to death approach, which I touched on before. Which was they're both I mean, hugging each other to death. Well, I, I mean, he, hey, he, it's he such can't, a weird election. Mm. Everyone's so polite and tiptoeing around each other. It's but weird. did you? I mean, did I, the <clears throat> the thing with Peter Dunn? I thought was amazing when he went out with a having a go at Jacinda Ardern, he, the smile and wave. Um, which was which was really a kind of a fl- flipping of the bird on the way out the door. I actually and found what he said more offensive than what Gareth had said about lipstick on a pig. Yeah. I thought it was a really ungracious, underhanded exit. It was ungracious, and it would have been the thing that most of us, I think, would have said was, "That's pretty ungracious. This is what I'm doing. That's really not the way an appropriate way to." But she no, didn't. She cuddled what him. she said was. What I want to say is Peter Dunn has given an enormous mm. service to and, you know, praised him to the hills mm. and that's completely disarming. Yeah. And so I think there might be a little bit of that with Bill English too in the debate. There might be some praise for Bill English even, you know, and it would be, be an interesting tactic sure to see how – and it makes it much harder to do the show me the money because they're going to try and go hard on the taxes and if if the tactic is to try and find – a weakness in the Labour Party leader that is to do with the policy detail, whether or not that will be an effective, as effective as it was against Goff or Cunliffe. Uh, look, I think it'll be the most polite debate in political living history in New Zealand. Um, I think it will be extremely amicable, extremely courteous. Ben Thomas doesn't know this yet, but he'll have more thoughts for us shortly after the debate. Um, I'll try and convince Annabelle Lee too to do that. Just um, just log on to thespinoff.co.nz um, for short, sharp takes on the debate uh, on Thursday night. 
Um, thanks very much for listening to us. Review us and rate us on iTunes if you've stayed this long. You might as well. Um, love you lots. Thanks, Jose Barbosa. Thanks, Jose. Jose. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.